Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the Price Out Podcast. I'm Dylan, and I'm here with Kelly and Marin County Supervisor Damon Connolly, representing District 1, San Rafael. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much Thank for coming. You. Thanks for having me. And before we dive in, can you briefly go over your background and how you came to be in the present position you're in today? Sure. Well, I'm the Marin County Supervisor for District 1, and that covers Greater San Rafael. I was elected in 2014, uh, so I've been at the job for about six years now. Uh, Before that, I was a San Rafael City Council member for about seven years and a school board member. Um, Professionally, and kind of my first passion, if you will, was to become a lawyer. Uh, So I practiced law uh, uh, for my career, um, and that having been said, kind of always had a strong interest in public service. Uh, So after some time in private practice, worked for the California Attorney General's office. Um, Back in the day, one of the things uh, that was noteworthy that you may recall, um, in the early 2000s, California was going through a serious energy crisis. Uh, So Mm -hmm. our job uh, with the AG's office and the unit I was in was to go after those out-of-state power generators that we felt had ripped off California uh, during the crisis. Um, So uh, very good professional experience. uh, And um, after that, I actually ended up starting my own uh, practice, which was another professional goal. Uh, while serving on uh, the San Rafael City Council. And interestingly um, uh, to note, uh, after my professional experience learning all about the energy markets, uh, working with the AG's office, I was actually one of the founding board members of Marin Clean Energy uh, back in the day while I was on the San Rafael City Council and ultimately became the president of that organization, or chair of the board, I should say, of that organization, and uh, very much uh, fit into my passion for environmental issues, um, renewable energy. Uh, So fast forward a little bit, um, in 2014, ended up um, running for this position uh, against an incumbent, actually, uh, which uh, doesn't happen every day. my understanding is it hadn't happened in about 20 years uh, before that, but uh, the sense was the community might be ready for a change. And sure enough, we won. Uh, so the big change has been, this is full time and then some, um, so kind of wrapped up my legal practice and uh, have been, have been uh, uh, spending all my time on this job, which has been great. Wow, wonderful. And how it looks like, you know, we're all faced with this um, crazy virus that I think nobody could have predicted. And I'm sure that's put you and um, the people around you in a very difficult position. And we appreciate the work that you've been doing. Um, and yeah, I, I want to say, yeah. Generally, we'd be connecting to, to talk about kind of the whole range of issues we work on, right? Housing, environment, uh, homelessness, uh, transportation. None of those issues are receding, but. Um, what's really been noteworthy for me is it's put into perspective at at the end of the day, the main thing county government does and supervisors do is protect the public health. 
So we have been just working full time right now on the pandemic and the response and looking forward while frankly also uh, addressing all the other issues that haven't gone away either. Well, yeah, we're glad for the work that you guys are doing. And I think the group that seems to be hit the, the most uh, hard so far is local businesses. And I was wondering if one of our listeners uh, is a local business owner, what resources could you direct them to um, that could help them out in this tough time? Yeah, and, and first of all, I always um, start by thanking everyone really for abiding by the shelter in place orders by staying at home. Uh, hard to believe for these last nine weeks as, as we're talking today on a, a Friday afternoon, the end of week nine. Uh, it really has made a difference, though, and I think uh, we can be proud of Marin residents uh, for stepping up early and uh, getting the job done. We're really seeing the results. Uh, that having been said, it's not without cost. I mean, we've, we've uh, seen extraordinary um, economic stressors for individuals, for small businesses, as you mentioned, uh, students. Um, people's mental health. Uh, certainly our, our lives have been upended. So the approach we've been taking so far, and then I'll talk a little bit about looking forward, uh, today has been really working with small businesses, working with people uh, to provide relief. Um, so in San Rafael, for example, uh, we work with the city to establish, and the business community to establish a small business relief fund. And actually we're able to raise about $300,000 um, that has gone directly into grants uh, for local small businesses. At the same time, we've been helping the businesses navigate uh, the, the array of federal programs uh, that have come online uh, things like the Paycheck Protection Program uh, and the Economic Injury uh, Disaster Loan Program through uh, Small Business Administration. Um, that, uh, pro those programs have provided some relief. It, it's been uh, a little bit spotty, as we know, but apparently from what I'm hearing more recently, finally some of those funds are coming through. A big issue uh, that came to light early on was the impact on uh, tenants in our community uh, and landlords for that matter. Um, so we acted quickly to do an eviction uh, ordinance, eviction moratorium ordinance uh, that uh, became effective countywide. That's kind of another interesting thing. Ordinarily, in uh, some of the uh, areas we address at the county level, like land use, our jurisdiction would be limited to uh, unincorporated areas. So in my district, places like Marinwood, Lucas Valley, Santa Benicia. Under the emergency powers that counties are granted uh, during this type of emergency, um, the uh, ordinances we come up with can actually extend countywide. And that was the case with our eviction moratorium ordinance where it actually applies to every city and town in Marin. Uh, so it 
establishes that there's a moratorium through May 31 on evictions in Marin. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of news today uh, that that's not public yet, uh, that uh, we're likely to extend that by a month um, at our next mm -hmm. uh, board meeting or, or shortly thereafter. Concurrent with that, we felt it was important to provide a grace period. Uh, and by the way, just to specify, the current moratorium applies to both residential and commercial leases. Going forward, we're probably gonna be emphasizing residential uh, more. Uh, there's a repayment grace period because um, the last thing we wanted was for all rent to become due June 1, right? And then mm -hmm. everything is due all at once. So there's actually a 90 day grace period to repay uh, or pay the rent uh, by the tenants. We felt that was a good uh, sweet spot uh, for tenants and landlords and kind of adheres to uh, the state uh, 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 kind of laws that are now in place to deal with the crisis as well. I'd recommend that uh, folks check out uh, Legal Aid in Moran. They have a great video kind of describing more of the details uh, of the program. So uh, going forward, um, we are also well aware that uh, while public health is always the paramount consideration, that we have to come up uh, with a game plan and a roadmap uh, to reopen our businesses and our local uh, community. Uh, so we're doing that now uh, through uh, Marin Recovers, and I recommend a couple of websites uh, to folks. Uh, MarinRecovers.com, which talks about uh, the three-phased approach uh, that we're doing. And then coronavirus.marinhhs.org, which is kind of our comprehensive website that deals with all aspects of the COVID response, including uh, some great data on uh, indicators that we're relying on. So phase one was really um, leading up to this point, uh, getting things like testing in place, uh, which is now well established and we're actually uh, going to be expanding testing to get up to about 500 tests a day is a goal. We're hoping to get up to about 300 uh, by the end of the month next week, and we're over 200 now. Tracking and tracing, um, it's gonna be very important that uh, when uh, folks with symptoms are identified or with the, the virus, you can even be asymptomatic as we know uh, that there's a protocol in place to track others that you've been in contact with uh, and investigate that just so we can kind of avoid spread um, of the virus. Hospital capacity, uh, we're in good shape. ICU uh, capacity, same. So the stage is set. Uh, so what we're doing is we've now moved into phase two and that sequential opening of the economy and other aspects of the community uh, like parks and open space. 
There was an initial loosening um, a couple weeks ago um, that uh, saw all construction opened with safety protocols in place, uh, as well as um, parks, some parks in open space, namely if you could uh, walk or bike uh, to your parks. Other outdoor recreation activities like golf, landscaping, gardening. Okay, so that was a couple weeks ago. The theory is in the meantime, and we actually are not seeing real, any real issues with that. Um, people are adhering to the protocols, et cetera. That will also give us additional data to look at. And we're systematically doing that through Marin Recovers. Namely, it's a public-private partnership uh, that brings together leaders from various industry sectors in Marin, uh, the cities and towns of Marin, and public health, local chambers, and really marrying um, how, how can we, in a way that um, respects public health, open sectors of the economy. And the philosophy behind it is me as a supervisor or Dr. Matt Willis as a public health officer, uh, and by the way, he's a very smart guy, but he doesn't know how to run particular businesses, right? So that's where we're really relying on the businesses and their, and their business leaders themselves to inform this process. So as of today, uh, there's gonna be a new order that will go in effect Monday, May 18th, that's gonna see further loosening. Uh, namely, we're gonna have all uh, retail open for curbside. Uh, so that's a significant change, as well as associated manufacturing and warehouse activities. We're also further loosening access to parks and open space, again, as of this Monday, where you will actually be able to drive uh, to your local park and open space. Um, that's, uh, as we know, very important for seniors who may not be able to walk necessarily uh, to a nearby park. Um, what will remain closed is uh, beaches, kind of federal and state parks. Uh, the theory being that people, large groups kind of travel there, right, from all over the region and also large groups gather. We want to continue to avoid that uh, for the time being. Next phase, and again, the, the dance that's going on, as you guys know as well, is this isn't just county decision making, we're also looking at what the state does uh, through the governor. Um, the way to think about it is that the state sets a floor. Um, counties cannot go beyond that in terms of loosening. Uh, they can be more strict and to date, uh, the Bay Area counties kind of have been, including Marin. Uh, I think what you're seeing is kind of counties moving more toward where the state is. And the next phase there will kind of be office and indoor restaurants actually is something being looked at now. So uh, stay tuned over the next uh, couple of weeks. You know, things are changing every day. 
Um, it, it's, it's extraordinary or certainly uh, by the week. Uh, the governor has also indicated that um, state counties theoretically can move beyond the state if they are able to certify to certain things and attest that guidelines are being met. The feedback we're hearing is that most counties will not be able to meet those. So uh, really, I think there has been some uh, feedback to the governor in that regard, namely things like uh, you would have to be able to show that there are zero deaths over a 14-day period, no matter what size county you are. That's, that's going to be a tough one. Uh, so what you're seeing is you have some uh, rural kind of northern uh, California counties that are meeting that threshold. Uh, they're moving even beyond and, and, and further loosening even additional uh, things like gyms, et cetera. Uh, we're not there yet. Um, I think we're going to, in fairly short order, um, kind of meld with where the state is right now, uh, continue to evaluate things. And then phase three, um, which is a, a more comprehensive opening, um, is further down the line. That's where you're going to see like large group gatherings, right? You know, events. Um, sporting uh, events, those kind of things. Um, concurrent with that, a, a, a huge issue that we're all interested in, of course, is schools. Um, you know, I've, I've spent some time over the last couple of weeks speaking uh, to a number of high school uh, government classes around. Marin Catholic, right? Yeah, Marin Catholic. Yeah, graduate, yeah. All right. Good. No, really enjoy that. Tara Linda High, you know, the Marin School of Environmental Leadership. And, and number one, it's always so valuable uh, to do that. But boy, you know, our hearts go out to those seniors, right, who are missing that traditional graduation, um, you know, the prom, etc. But, you know, I was really impressed. They're hanging in there. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in their near future, if they're going to college, you know, is that initial uh, semester going to be online? Uh, mm -hmm. the, the well, the Cal State University system has yeah. just announced that they're going to be majorly online in the fall. I attend San Francisco State, so we're going to have to adapt to it. And there you go. Um, industries are going to be affected in this as well, um, yeah. being able to uh, adapt and use technology in, um, you know, modern day work. So you're doing it right now. You've been doing it for your meetings. So Yeah, I know. Uh, We'd love to keep in touch with you on that. I mean, people are really interested. And then K-12, you know, uh, Governor Newsom's talking about maybe a July reopen. That seems pretty optimistic. Um, you know, by July, uh, we'll see. Um, but certainly looking at the fall, you know, how is that going to look as well? So we're kind of working through all these issues as a community, um, balancing safety um, with kind of the need to, to get back on our feet um, and get people back to their jobs. Uh, so our uh, kind of, um, you know, way to do that, if you will, is to come together through Marin Recovers, self-empower people, 
um, with the right guidelines. Uh, and that kind of is an ongoing process. It's in full gear right now. Wonderful. Well, I think you answered all of our questions and more about COVID-19. Thank you for the comprehensive <laughs> look <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, so I want to give the floor so we can explore some other topics to Kelly. Um, so she's going to talk to you about some other topics that might have been getting neglected um, while this whole virus thing has been going on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um, thank you for all of that. Um, I think that the, in general, the Board of Supervisors has done a great job in maintaining transparency with the public. I've attended your online meetings and having the, um, you know, Marin County Public Health Officer, Matt Willis, you know, give an update and uh, Matt Imel, County Administrator, give his input as well. It's been really invaluable to people trying to get that information from the leaders of our community. Thanks for that. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so you are a member of MTC, the Metropolitan Trans Transportation Commission, correct? Yes. Does everyone, everyone may not know what that is, right? <laughs> right. Um, can you tell us a little bit, just like really quick, about how long you've been on the board and what that job consists of? Yeah, so I'm the MT Metropolitan Transportation Commission representative for Marin, uh, including the county and all the cities and towns. And MTC is the nine county Bay Area regional uh, transportation body. So all federal and state and regional transportation dollars flow through MTC. Uh, so it, it's a very important body, and I've served on it, I think, about three years now. I'm the vice chair of the operations mm -hmm. committee uh, within MTC. So, uh, yeah, very, very engaged in it. Definitely. Um, we at Next Summer and make it a point to try to you know, attend MTC. About four years now. So I've actually been there a little while now. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's okay. Um, I was just saying that we at Next Summer and make it a habit to attend these meetings and ABAG meetings as well. Um, so obviously something that, you know, was a big controversy in the Bay Area is AB 1487, mm -hmm. which was passed into law. Um, the San Francisco Bay Area Regional Housing Finance Act, which creates the Bay Area Housing Finance Authority. And seeing as you are on the board of MTC, who will be now on the, um, you know, part of this new authority. So what I was wondering was, um, can you tell our listeners what the difference will be in terms of your current role of MTC in conjunction with ABAG, in excuse me, in conjunction with ABAG as opposed to this new um, authority that's been created by AB 1487 what that difference will be. Great question, Kelly. And in fact, we need to back up a little bit uh, because the hot topic right now is the Bay Area Housing Finance Authority, uh, which was created by AB 1487, as you noted. Maybe I'll just call it BAFA, so we don't have to keep mm -hmm. saying it every time. BAFA um, has actually not been, uh, they call it stood up yet. It, it, so it's not oh, okay. in November. No. So what happens is MTC and ABAG actually have to vote 
on standing up BAFA. There's two key issues right now. So this is a really timely discussion. Um, the other thing that 1487 authorized is actually the potential to put a ballot measure uh, on for November of this year or thereafter, uh, Bay Area wide. So for all nine counties to uh, potentially fund affordable housing projects, whether they be uh, production of new units, protection of rental uh, units or preservation, which is another strategy uh, in tackling affordable housing that uh, Marin has been utilizing. So there's two things going on, and this is both are gonna be coming up for a vote. Um, in fact, the vote's gonna be um, May 27th at MTC and right before that at ABAG. Uh, one is whether to authorize going forward with a ballot measure this November. Mm -hmm. uh, per AB 1487. There's some polling in the field right now. I don't think you're gonna get any question mark that housing remains one of the top issues uh, locally here in Moran as well as regionally. What's gonna be noteworthy though is whether there is a public appetite at all uh, for going forward with a new revenue measure this mm -hmm. November. Uh, given the COVID uh, issue and the economic hardships everyone is facing, uh, including local governments. Uh, so uh, the proposal theoretically is for a $10 billion uh, government obligation bond. Uh, so I will be very interested in seeing those polling results. Uh, talking more with uh, folks here locally uh, that I represent on MTC uh, and getting community feedback on that. So the second issue, irrespective of whether or not a ballot measure goes forward in November, will be whether to, or not to stand up BAFA as a new entity. It's not really a new agency. Uh, but it's kind of a new entity within MTC and ABAG if it goes forward. Uh, so the questions there are kind of what's the value add? On one hand, um, we anticipate that there could be an opportunity to access uh, some new federal dollars as well as potentially state and regional, uh, but primarily federal on the housing front. Um, even in the near future in response to COVID, uh, would a regional agency like BAFA facilitate uh, local uh, jurisdictions getting that money? Um, the last thing we would want to do is actually impede uh, local jurisdictions from getting money. Uh, so that's one thing I'm going to be looking at. As long as it uh, theoretically adds value, uh, that would be a positive. And then the second piece, of course, is right now MTC and ABAG um, have a very talented uh, housing-related staff. Um, you know, as you can well imagine, uh, we're dealing with those issues all the time. Uh, so um, a little bit more detail on would BAFA involve 
um, kind of reorganizing that same staff, adding new staff? If so, what's the cost? You know, so again, in this kind of belt tightening uh, era we find ourselves in, um, does it make sense? So um, I'm keeping an open mind. Um, I haven't made a final decision on either issue. Like I said, um, uh, listening to a lot of different perspectives on it, but can't emphasize enough that I think everyone shares the same objectives. That's getting uh, the right resources to our local communities, um, tackling housing in a way that uh, makes sense locally. And I think we have shown some results. There's a lot more we need to do. Um, and just kind of that value add, even from a regional uh, perspective. Well, thank you for that thorough answer. Um, this is, you know, a, this is a big bill that we've been keeping our eye on and that we've been anxious to see where it goes from here. So thank mm -hmm. you for that. Um, yeah. In terms of talking about effects that COVID has had on local agencies, um, obviously there's a lot in the news lately you know, the Marin County Board of Education with layoffs and um, the city of San Rafael furloughing non-public safety employees. Um, needless to say, local jurisdictions are having to slash expenses wherever they can and generate revenues. Um, there was also recently a survey gauging kind of uh, public feeling about a quarter cent sales tax in San Rafael, you know, so um, it's interesting that you measure that you mentioned the um, you know the ten billion dollar bond maybe not going on the November ballot but um, you know cities and jurisdictions are going to need to make the money up somewhere or risk cutting employees unless we're um, consolidating you know maybe agencies Dick Spotswood wrote in the Marin IJ recently about consolidating like fire and sewer agencies and things like that. Um, so what are some of our, is the County of Marin looking at any of those kind of, uh, you know, paths to try to fix this budget and, um, you know, work at a surplus as opposed to a deficit? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, we're always looking at ways of, of doing things more efficiently and, and um, uh, you know, that's going to be even more um at the forefront now. I mean, starting with the fact that, you know, the state is looking at probably about a $54 billion budget. And I don't know if you know this, about 40% of the county's budget is federal money and related state. So anything that obviously happens at those levels has a huge impact. Trickles down. Yeah. So uh, we have started to tackle that. Um, I think the good news is uh, because of some careful planning uh, in recent years, including um, be, uh, beefing up reserves um, and being fairly prudent, it looks like we're going to be in a position where initially, because our fiscal year ends June 30th, so we've actually got to pass mm -hmm. a new budget by June 15th, uh, so within a few weeks. We're going to be able to do a rollover budget at the county level and then look to tee up some key decision making for this fall 
and then heading into the next fiscal year, uh, where there likely will be uh, a fair amount of pain uh, that we're going to have to go through. Uh, so we're going to have to look at everything. But I guess somewhat good news is um, right now, as we get through this fiscal year and look toward the next uh, with the new budget, uh, at least through uh, utilization of some reserves, creating some efficiencies, um, it looks like we'll be able to at least initially weather this and then look at making some uh, uh, larger changes a little bit down the road. You raised some great points. So I think things like, does it uh, make sense to look at whether um, some agencies can be consolidated or other, you know, pension issues are always a big one uh, that are at the top of mind. Um, uh, so we'll, you know, this could be an opportunity to look at some things, you know, that, that, uh, that maybe have been a long time coming. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that actually is a great segue. You're giving me perfect segues into my All next right. question. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, um, speaking about the coronavirus crisis and its impacts on our lives, um, there's certainly the economy, but also the coronavirus, um, you know, it's played kind of, you know, as the backdrop into some people's narratives. For instance, some people are saying that New York is experiencing an extreme number of cases due to its density, while others are saying that we can use the economic recovery, recovery period to kind of get things in line. Let's provide equitable opportunities for people of all different income levels to be able to have access to opportunities like schools and things that are so important and add to the quality of life. Um, so I guess my question to you as someone who sits on MTC as well as the Marin County Board of Supervisors, how do you see the coronavirus crisis impacting future housing policy in Marin County or the Bay Area? Yeah, and I don't think it's just housing policy. I mean, going back to MTC as well, you know, you look at transportation policy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, our transit systems have just taken a tremendous hit uh, through this. Um, just as a couple of examples, Marin Transit ridership is down over 80%. Smart ridership is, is down over 90%, as is the ferry. So how does that look like going forward? I mean, um, my sense is, and kind of going to the point you're making, it might be an opportunity to really look at ways of uh, thinking creatively, thinking comprehensively about how do we make transit and housing for that matter, uh, you know, such that people are gonna be attracted to it and used it, right? Um, you know, in the, in the short term, transit is also now relying um, on a, a fairly big allocation out of the Federal CARES Act. Uh, so at MTC, um, we just allocated, I think it was literally over about $600 million uh, to Bay Area transit agencies and, and the ones in Marin got a part of that allocation. But what we then did, and it, it goes to your point, is 
in terms of the second allocation, because the total amount uh, to the Bay Area was about 1.3 billion. So doing some quick math, I think uh, we have about six to 700 million more left out of uh, CARES. Um, we actually want to think more strategically, um, not just distribute the money, but really look at, and, and this is actually going to be accomplished in part through the use of a, a blue ribbon task force uh, that was just appointed uh, through MTC to actually look at the future of transit in the Bay Area. And um, being kind of a glass half full uh, person, I see it as an opportunity uh, to really think creatively, think strategically, really get out there in the community and have conversations and, and envision it, right? I mean, as much as um, this whole situation obviously has been extremely hard as we talked about earlier on people. But I think at the same time, you know, you, you can't help but look outside as we're talking and, you know, the sky is noticeably bluer, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be important as we go forward to, to keep that kind of mental picture in our mind as we evaluate what is possible uh, going forward. How can we perhaps um, look at policies and look at things differently in a way um, that enhances a lot of the goals that we've long had, right? Like uh, improving the environment uh, through, through transportation, housing, other policies. So, that's what's kind of exciting to me on the housing front. Um, I think it's too early to tell. I think the macro uh, picture is that both transportation and housing are largely driven by the economy. And that now is in flux, as we know, Bay Area wide. Um, are we going to see um, uh, the economy change locally? Um, how long is it going to take to recover? Um, I'm fairly bullish on, on the Bay Area economy still. I think, um, you know, particularly with things like the tech sector, um, that does not seem to be uh, lessening. If anything, it's increasing, as we know. Um, but that having been said, what kind of keeps me up at night as well is um, you could continue to see the middle class and those struggling more in our economy to be hit the even harder here, right? And we always have to keep the equity uh, lens uh, front and center on this. Um, underserved communities are not only disproportionately being hard hit by the virus itself, and we're kind of seeing that, uh, but the aftermath uh, could hit them particularly hard as well. So I think as we navigate the economy um, and we continue to support um, policies that, that uphold and create jobs uh, for everyone, 
that that also is going to inform our housing and transportation policies as well. In a sense, best case scenario could be maybe people have more of an opportunity to telecommute, right? Um, so that's going to affect uh, levels of congestion and, and people's ability to move around the region. Um, there is a theory, I think, as you noted, that um, you know, are people going to be scared off uh, by um, density in housing? Um, I don't have a sense of that right now. I think, again, the key um, going forward is going to be to do the right uh, public health protocols uh, for the time being. Till, you know, obviously, if we can get a vaccine or if we have a drug treatment protocol that solves this thing, that's one thing. But the conventional wisdom is uh, that's not going to happen for a while. So we're all going to have to be very vigilant uh, wherever we're at, whether that's a work environment or a housing environment. We're going to have to, you know, practice that physical distancing, uh, washing hands, uh, wearing our face masks and the like. So um, I don't think we can draw any sweeping conclusions right now on, on types of housing. Um, I think, and, and I know I'm going on a little bit, I'll say one final housing piece. I think the immediate need, and we talked about this a little bit before, is going to be on the protection piece of the three Ps. So um, really uh, working closely with uh, tenants and landlords uh, to avoid displacement. You're already seeing uh, some willingness to do that at the state level as well as federal level. And obviously, uh, as we've shown, we're, we're more than willing to kind of uh, wade into that at the local level as well. So I would say that's going to be kind of an initial uh, focus. And then beyond that, um, you know, uh, the other two Ps as well, of course, preservation and production. Great. Well, speaking of housing, I wanted to ask you about a specific housing project that I, I hope won't be fallen by the wayside. Uh, you mentioned actually the Northgate Mall, I believe, at the joint uh, ABAC and MTC meeting held January 1st. And it excited me because you said there's a dilapidated mall, and I presume that would be Northgate, um, that residents are thinking of including housing. No offense to the owners. Right? <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. Um, so I was wondering, what, what is the future of the Northgate project, and how can elected officials aid in maybe making that a piece of housing. Yeah, I think you'd have a lot of uh, community support around uh, the potential for housing there. And, and as you know, that's not always the case. Yeah, very uh, so aware of that, unfortunately. It is an opportunity. And, and I think that's been a sentiment uh, for a number of years now. I was kind of disappointed um, to hear from the owners uh, a while back that they were moving away from that concept and, and looking more at just a straight uh, commercial play, including even uh, potentially uh, a Costco there, uh, which I think has raised a lot of legitimate concerns uh, from folks, not only just those who are immediate neighbors of it, uh, but even beyond. When I was on the city council, one of the first things I did, uh, because I believe there was, it was at the time when the mall actually got upgraded uh, last time, um, 
was actually asked the then owners to, to compile a housing study uh, to, to show some possibilities there. And so I think um, the idea has, has been out there. Um, there's now a new owner uh, since then, the, the one that's um, indicated um, that it's not in the cards. I, I'd really like to see continued discussion of that though. And I think the community and interested groups like yours could really play a role uh, in pushing for that. I, I think there would be some support. Yeah, we definitely love to see that go somewhere in, in the direction of housing at least. Um, and I wanted to bring up one final question from that. By meeting. the way, just yeah. not, you know, not to make it all about COVID, but boy, uh, where's the mall business model going to be? after this, mm -hmm. right? It was already hurting. I know they were looking at some different strategies, but, you know, I think in light of this, I can only imagine that the timing might be that much more better uh, to look at different options right now. Yeah, we've seen retailers fail across the country that weren't doing so well even before the virus. So I think it'll be very interesting to see going forward what happens with that. And uh, I wanted to ask during that meeting also, um, ABAG and MTC very generally discussed the possibility of drafting policy to sort of limit maybe growth in job rich areas and bring jobs to housing rich areas. There's a lot of talk of those sort of job rich areas and then also housing rich and equalizing those two. Um, there was a few solutions and I heard some that concerned me including fees on new office development or putting caps on commercial construction and that seems to me like that might hurt our local economy as the Bay Area more than help. And I just wanted to get um, some of your thoughts on that. I know Marin is kind of a housing rich um, part of, of the Bay Area, but what, what are your thoughts on, on that issue? Yeah, I don't think those issues, have, I, I, I recall kind of the talking points, I forget the, the context. I don't think those issues have really risen up to the level of, of discussion yet. I believe what you're referencing is probably Plan Bay Area 2050, right? And the regional growth strategies. So yeah, certainly we, we don't wanna do anything that kind of reduces our, our ability to have a strong local economy. I mean, there's always kind of striking the right balance, but I'm always wary of kind of those one size fits all, you know, kind of regional, um, mandates, if you will. So I kind of share your concerns. If and when uh, those issues kind of um, rise up for more discussion, we'll certainly keep that in mind for sure. Great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I think that was all that we had for you today. I have Kelly, did you have any more? One. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I have one. Oh, you're okay. Um, so given that you are on a regional board, you know, you're, you work with ABAG, you're looking at the greater Bay Area. Um, you know, that being said, you also are representing Marin and um, a big topic of interest in housing is maintaining local control as it pertains to, um, you know, some people's perspective of the state trying to impose laws and restrictions and standards um, upon maybe smaller jurisdictions like Marin, um, you know, that some people say don't build enough affordable housing. Um, I guess my question would kind of be 
uh, in Plan Bay Area 2050 as you guys have been constructing this over the past few months um, and as progress has been made um, recently, do you think that arena numbers, that's regional housing needs allocation, do you think that those numbers are going to be uh, more restrictive upon uh, local jurisdictions during this new housing element cycle? Or do you think that there's going to be a slackening due to COVID? Um, has ABAG and MTC, have they talked about that in relation That's to the area? That's a great question, Kelly. No, we do not know yet. The, the word we were getting pre-COVID was that uh, we were likely to face um, increased uh, arena numbers uh, for each local jurisdiction. We, we uh, didn't really receive word on how much of an increase, but certainly uh, we were ready to uh, uh, probably see that and then react to it uh, as appropriate. Um, you raise a number of good points. I mean, um, I think the initial concern kind of famously arose back in the original Plan Bay Area process, right? Uh, which, which literally um, uh, battles ensued over that and, and in some uh, respects um, well-deserved. I think there was a sense that it was kind of a top-down a one-size-fits-all approach. I think um, uh, ABAG has learned lessons uh, from that uh, in, in how it's approached this new process. Um, I will say some of these issues still arise, though, and, and, one, and I, the good news is I think we're still able to work through them. One that, that's created a lot of local concern over the over the last few years in Marin is the concept that arises of conditioning transportation dollars on mm -hmm. actual production of housing. Um, so most counties, frankly, including ours, has pushed back on that uh, for a couple reasons. One is there's a housing shortage, but we also know we're facing a transportation crisis and there's limited transportation dollars available that we need. Uh, so we push back on conditioning. Secondly, again, is the notion that um, one size doesn't fit all and there's a lot of factors that go in uh, locally to um, how new housing is created, right? It's not just a government turning the on switch. It's developers, it's local conditions, the economics of it, uh, et cetera. That having been said, uh, there are um, appropriate programs currently in place, and I don't think we'd have a problem with those uh, being continued or even expanded of incentivizing um, uh, housing through the use of uh, infrastructure investments. Um, you're seeing uh, in Marin, uh, we're making some progress uh, in the um, approach of local jurisdictions should be able to voluntarily nominate priority development 
areas rather than having them imposed, which was mm -hmm. the problem with the original Plan B area. Uh, so in Marin, uh, downtown San Rafael in its environs is a priority development area. And that allows it to attract uh, transportation funds, et cetera. And you're seeing a lot of good stuff around there. Um, you're, uh, and it all kind of fits in together. You have the smart station there. Uh, you're gonna have a relocated uh, downtown transit center. Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to secure funding for that through regional measure three. Um, and there's a number of new housing developments going up, um, as you know, and some other interesting stuff like a hotel um, a senior center, and there's actually even some additional proposals uh, potentially down the line like this uh, Market Square proposal. Uh, we'll see if that ever comes online, but it looks pretty creative uh, as to what they're talking about. Uh, so, you know, I, I always push back a little bit at the, uh, the uh, you know, reputation of Moran, if you will, which I'm, I'm sometimes reminded of when I'm sitting there at MTC. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah almost and, every time I've listened to a meeting, I hear some kind of little comment in there with, you know, like Marin's not doing enough. And uh, I kind of just sit there and listen and see if anyone says anything. Um, yeah. No, so I'm glad you're, you're tuning in because you'll always hear me take, an, take the opportunity to talk about what we are doing as well. So, um, uh, frankly, in, in the area of all three Ps and on preservation, uh, in particular, things like the Coast Guard facility that we just bought out in West Marin that's gonna be converted to affordable housing, uh, which is a great public-private pri public partnership, Victory Village in Fairfax. Um, there's others um, on the drawing board. Uh, so that's important as well. I think, you know, with Marin, it, there are um, justifiable sensitivities around let's keep, uh, you know, uh, the beautiful surroundings we have, um, the, you know, small town feel in a sense, the quality of life, but yet meet our needs, to meet the needs of our residents. And it takes a little bit more work, um, but it's doable. And I think it really is going to be striking that right balance, um, but we're approaching it in good faith. So, um, as I sit there at MTC, I always feel that we have a story to tell. Um, and yes, we also need to be part of the solution as well. Yes, definitely. I am a, I myself am a proud member of San Rafael. I always look at their progress and housing projects and I brag about it, you know, and I say, I hope the rest of Marin is doing this. Yeah. Um, so we are currently, you know, out of questions for now, okay. but um, thank you so much for answering what questions we did have and for being available to the public. Um, I know that our listeners are going to be very excited to listen to this podcast. Um, so Dylan and I from next and everyone else from next gen wanted to say thank you. And we're going to um, end the meeting here. All right. Thank you, thank you guys. Let's keep in touch.